I have uh, I've been attending church since literally before I was born. And uh, in, in the many years I've been at church, I've experienced, uh, I've had great experiences in the community that I found in church. Uh, I, as a kid, I made great friends in Sunday school classes and youth group. I've been a part of small groups where I've uh, grown spiritually and I've made friendships that have endured even decades later. I've been working at churches for the last 23 years, and in that time, I've, uh, I've had relationships with fellow staff members that have been life-giving and lots of fun. I, uh, I've served on church boards with people who are passionately committed to the, the mission of that church. And, and the bonds that we've formed have been way deeper than just people serving on a committee together. And in the churches, churches that I've led, uh, there's been, been people who have related to me, not just you know, following me as their pastor, but partnering with me in life and ministry and they've prayed for me, and they've had genuine friendship with me, and I've loved that. I've had leaders who have invested in my life, who have, who have poured into me, who have given me chances to step into my identity and calling, who have taken risks for me, who have, have just, um, just invested in me in so many ways. I have seen firsthand. I can testify to the glory and the power of the kind of community that can only be experienced in church. However, <laughs> I've had some other kinds of experiences as well. Remember several years ago, a couple in the church came to meet with me. And this is a couple that Echo and I knew well. We were good friends with them. We had been in small groups with them. Our daughters were best friends. We had done stuff with them outside of churchy functions. We felt like we knew them and like they knew us. But they met with me because they'd been reading some blogs. This was back when blogs were still a thing. And these blogs they read were of the fear-mongering kind. They were written by self-proclaimed and self-righteous watchmen who loved to find fault with other churches. These were bloggers who trafficked heavily in guilt by association and taking what people said in the worst possible light. And in their way of thinking, according to these bloggers, if you uh, quoted or referenced anyone who was on their bad list, then that meant that you believed everything that person had said in any context taken in the worst possible light. And because at our church we had referenced some of these people that were on their naughty list, uh, according to their categories, that made us apostate and false. And so this couple was meeting with me to tell me that we needed to repent as a church or they were going to leave. And uh, that was really hurtful for me and for Echo when I told her about it. Because these were people that we felt like we knew and had invested our lives in. And they were following the advice. They were trusting these bloggers who they had never met they had no idea about their life or their character or whether they were people worth following or trusting, but somehow they were trusting them rather than us who had invested our lives in them. It's like, does our character not count for anything? Does our integrity that you've seen in us not matter? Why would you not trust us? Does our love and friendship mean nothing to you? They, they, they said it wasn't personal. But it's hard not to take it personally when someone tells you that you're deceived and a false teacher. We felt abandoned and betrayed by these friends. And you know, that's not the only time I've had an experience like that. There have been other times where I felt betrayed 
by someone I was close to. I've had staff members who have stabbed me in the back. I felt like a pawn, being treated like a pawn in a power struggle that's not really about me, but that I certainly suffered because of. And all of this has happened in church. Now, I wouldn't be telling you this if I thought that I was the only one who had been on the receiving end of church hurt. But that's not the case, is it? Some of you know what that feels like. You've been hurt in church. You've been hurt by pastors and leaders. You've been hurt by fellow church members. And that hurt has taken the form of gossip, unmet expectations, unfulfilled promises, betrayed trust, and probably the list could go on and on. Things have been done that hurt you, or things have not been done that should have been done, and that was hurtful as well. And the fact that all of this happens in church makes it hurt all the worse. Like we almost expect this kind of behavior from people that don't know Jesus, but when it's our brothers and sisters in the faith, when it's people we've worshipped and served alongside, it's surprising, and it makes it sting all the more. As followers of Jesus, we are in a bit of a quandary because we need community in our lives. We need community in our lives. We are not meant to live this life alone. Christianity is not a solo endeavor. When we are saved, we're saved into a relationship with God, but we're also saved into a relationship with everyone else who's in relationship with God. And those relationships are meant to be expressed and experienced tangibly in the context of a local church. But the problem is that our only options for community are imperfect and fallible. Your only options are imperfect churches led by imperfect and fallible pastors made up of imperfect and fallible people. Which means that hurt and disappointment is pretty much inevitable for us to experience at some point, at some level, even in church. So what do we do with this quandary? What hope is there that we can experience healthy community with imperfect people? And what can we do to recover from the church hurt that we may have experienced? We are going to get some help answering those questions as we look at the example of Jesus today. We're going to be looking at Mark 14, verses 17 through 31. If you have a Bible, you could turn there now. But I do want to address the hurt that happens in Christian community in church. But I also want to be clear what I'm not including in this today. Uh, A lot of what I say today is not necessarily going to apply to people who have been abused in church settings, who have experienced physical or sexual abuse, or even spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse is when a pastor or leader misuses their authority, causes real harm to someone, and it's all cloaked in spiritual or religious language. Those issues of abuse are real, they're important, they need to be acknowledged and addressed, It's just beyond the scope of what we're tackling today. Today, I want to specifically focus on the hurt that comes from other people that we've attended church with, maybe at chapel, maybe somewhere else, but hurt that comes when people let us down, when they disappoint us, when they don't follow through, when we feel betrayed or abandoned in some way. That's what we're talking about today, and that is a type of pain that Jesus experienced firsthand. That's what we're going to see as we look at these verses. Would you stand with me and follow along as I read these verses for us? (laughs) 
When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. So Jesus had already set up that he was going to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples. So he arrives at that place with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Lord, we are really grateful for your word and for the ways that you want to speak to us through your word by your spirit today. So we say yes to that work that you want to do in this time. We pray, Lord, that even as we sang earlier, that you would open the eyes of our heart so that we could see you more clearly and we could see ourselves more clearly in light of who you are. We pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our minds to hear and understand everything you want to say to us today. Lord, I pray that you would communicate clearly through me and that there would be nothing that would get in the way, no distraction or confusion that would get in the way of your word being proclaimed and us hearing and understanding what you want us to. We pray, Lord, that even as you have been present in this time, that you continue to move in this place, quicken our hearts to respond to you in the ways you want us to respond today, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. Have your way, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, what has really struck me from these verses is that Jesus shares communion with people who he knows are going to fail him. Jesus shares this Last Supper, institutes communion with men that he knows are going to fail him and let him down. As James R. Edwards says in his commentary on Mark, the original Last Supper was attended by traitors and cowards. That describes them, traitors and cowards. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. It's someone who's close enough to me that we're dipping bread into the same bowl. It's one of the 12. The people closest to me is going to betray me. Jesus says that, but then he takes the bread and he distributes it to all of them, including the one who was going to betray him. And then he takes the cup and gives that to them, and they all drink from that cup. He shares the bread with him, which represents his body, and this cup, which represents his blood, his very life, and they all partake. Jesus then goes on to say that you all will fall away. And that repetition of all, they all drink and they all are going to fall away, that's purposeful. Jesus says you're all going to fall away. Now, of course, they all protest, and Peter says, even if these other losers let you down, not me, Jesus, you can count on me. 
And Jesus says, oh, no, Peter, even you, especially you, three times before the rooster crows, crows twice, in the next five hours or so, you're going to disown me three times. Jesus knew that these men were going to abandon him, that they were going to disown him, that they were going to betray him, and yet he chose to maintain community with them anyway. He shares a meal with them. He says to them, I'm actually going to see you again in Galilee after my resurrection, which will mean after the crucifixion, after you all have fallen away, I'm going to gather with you again. And even in verses just below where we stopped reading, down in verse 33, Jesus asks Peter, James, and John to keep watch with him while he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks the man who he has just predicted is going to disown him three times before morning to keep watch with him in his most desperate hour. And he invites two other guys who he's just predicted are also going to fall away to do the same. Now, how was Jesus able to do this? How was Jesus able to maintain community with people he knew were going to let him down and fail him? And how can we learn from his example? How can we maintain community with imperfect people? How do we navigate community with fallible people? And how do we recover from the hurt we may have experienced in community in church? The answer to those questions is found in the heart of this passage. It is no coincidence that Jesus' prediction of betrayal and abandonment sandwiches the institution of communion there at the Last Supper. Because what communion reminds us of and what it represents is what's necessary for us to experience healthy Christian community with others and to recover from the hurt we may have experienced in it. What communion represents, what it reminds us of, is what's necessary for us to enjoy healthy community with other believers in church and to recover from the hurt that we may have experienced in community. Or we could summarize it this way. It's communion that makes possible community. Communion makes possible community. And I see three examples of that in these verses. Uh, First of all, uh, healthy Christian community requires forgiveness. And communion reminds us that we are able to receive forgiveness from God for the sins that we have committed. Uh, Matthew makes this explicit when he records the Last Supper. He's talking about the cup. It's the cup that especially reminds us of forgiveness. Matthew says, uh, records Jesus saying, Uh, This is my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Mark just says it's poured out for many, but he calls it the blood of the covenant. See, throughout Scripture, the way that God and people relate is defined by covenants. We see this, for example, very clearly in the covenant that God made with his people at Mount Sinai in Exodus. And that covenant provided a way for sinful people to have their sins taken care of so they could relate to a perfectly holy God. And that included blood being shed through animal sacrifices. And even that whole covenant was was enacted through the sprinkling of blood on the people. Now, Jesus here in Mark, he's establishing a new covenant, and it's the sacrifice of himself on the cross that's going to be sufficient to cover the sins of everyone who believes in him. And when our sins are forgiven through Jesus, then we can have a relationship with God. And this new covenant is enacted through the shedding of Jesus' blood, 
which is what the cup that he shares with his disciples represents. We're, being, we're reminded in communion that we have received forgiveness from God, but this also means that we can then forgive others. Jesus would say, freely you've received, freely give. He said that because we've been forgiven, we need to forgive others. Yeah, and that, you know, when, when people hurt us, we have a choice of what we're going to do with them. What are we going to do? Are we going to hold on to the hurt? Are we going to let bitterness grow? Are we going to try to punish them? Are we just going to hope that bad things happen to them? Or are we going to forgive them? Really, that's kind of what the choice comes down to. Now, forgiveness does not mean that we ignore what happened. In order to forgive it, we have to face it. And forgiving does not mean that we say that what happened didn't matter or that it didn't hurt or that we try to act as if it didn't. And forgiveness cannot be forced. This is a mistake I've witnessed all too often in church settings, is that a, a pastor or a leader really exerts pressure on someone who's been hurt to forgive the person who hurt them. And I'm not talking about a situation where a pastor lovingly challenges someone to forgive because he knows it's going to be better for their spiritual health and growth. I'm talking about contrived situations where sometimes the person who is hurt and the person who hurt them are brought together and the person who is hurt is really urged to say words of forgiveness, to say, I forgive you. Sometimes without any acknowledgement of what actually was done, Sometimes without the person who hurt them asking for forgiveness or admitting they did anything wrong, there's just this pressure to say, I forgive you. And the motive of this is often so that this can be taken care of, so that we can move past it. And, and then after that happens, again, what I've seen happen all too often is the person who's hurt is told, now you can't talk about it anymore because you forgave them, so you can't keep bringing them up. And what happens is that it just increases the hurt. It adds another layer of hurt. It intensifies the hurt that's been done to this person because they were forced into this artificial forgiveness. Friends, do you understand what a gross distortion and perversion of forgiveness that is? Forgiveness can't be forced. Forgiveness is a choice that we make. It's a choice we make to forgive others because and as we've been forgiven by God. We're going to extend mercy to others because we have been shown mercy. We did not get what we deserve, so we're not going to give others what they deserve. We're not going to hold what they did against them. We're not going to live in reaction to what they did. We are not going to try to punish them. We're going to leave justice in the hands of God, and we're going to get to the point where we can authentically bless them and want good things to happen to them. We are not saying that what they did was good, but we want good things to happen to them. That's forgiveness. We can forgive others. <laughs> we can offer that to them. And sometimes we need to ask for it from them. Folks, here's a hard reality. I have not only been hurt by others in church, but I have hurt others. And I, you know, not with, uh, inten not intentionally, not with malice, but I've not followed through on things I said I was going to do. I haven't stood up for people when I should have. I ha I, I just, I, I've disappointed people. I've let them down. People have been hurt because of me. And so I'm so glad that I can go to them and ask for forgiveness and that they can offer it to me so that there can be reconciliation in the relationship. See, that's what's necessary for reconciliation to happen 
There has to be an asking and admitting of what happened and then an offering of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness can be done by one person. You can forgive someone whether or not they ever ask for forgiveness, whether or not you ever see them again. Forgiveness can be done by one person, but reconciliation takes two. Reconciliation is not always possible. It's not always necessary. It's not always wanted. But if it's going to happen, it takes someone admitting what they did. It takes an asking for forgiveness and an offering of forgiveness. Whether or not reconciliation happens, forgiveness is essential for healthy Christian community. It's healthy, it's essential for our own health so that we can have clear accounts, so that we're not holding anything against others, so that uh, there's nothing blocking our relationship with God. Unforgiveness to other people affects our relationship with God and our ability to experience his forgiveness in our lives. Uh, when we forgive others, it means that we're not carrying bitterness in our lives and we're not experiencing the fruit of bitterness in our lives, which believe me, you do not want to experience. And when we forgive others, it means that we're not carrying forward offenses into our new relationships with other people. I just have seen that happen too often. You know, have you ever noticed that uh, something happens to someone that on a scale of 1 to 10 is about a 2, but they react as if it's a 9? The reason that happens most often is because there's unresolved stuff, and so it's touching an area of sensitivity. So in order to not do that, we got to work through that stuff so that we can have healthy relationships with new people. Forgiveness is essential for healthy Christian community, and so I'm so glad it's provided for through the death of Jesus, and I'm so grateful for communion and the cup of communion, which reminds us of that. Uh, healthy Christian community requires forgiveness. It also requires healing. And healing is also provided through, through the death of Jesus. Communion reminds us of this particularly the bread, which represents Jesus' body. One of the clearest prophecies of what would happen to Jesus in his death is found in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." Now, we see here that forgiveness is emphasized through the language of transgressions and iniquities. So we have forgiveness because of the death of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. But it's more than just the spiritual benefit of forgiveness that's, that's uh, made possible by the death of Jesus on the cross. You see there it says that he took up our pain and our suffering. Uh, that we are healed by his wounds. And that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The word for peace there, shalom, it refers to a well-being that's meant to inform every part of who we are. We are meant to be at peace physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally and mentally and in every way you can think. Every part of what makes us us can be at peace because of what Jesus did on the cross. What provides this for us is what happened to Jesus' body. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was wounded for us. Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. Jesus was crucified so that we could experience healing and restoration in our lives. Now, hallelujah, this means that our relationship with God can be whole and restored. But it also means that our selves, our bodies, our minds, our hearts can be whole and restored. And this means that when we, when we are hurt by others, we can not only forgive them, 
but we can experience healing from the pain that they caused us. You know, I've noticed that in so many areas of life, we are good at doing lots of things to deal with pain other than address the actual source of what caused the pain. And what I've noticed when it comes to people being hurt in churches, the most common reaction I've seen is that people will withdraw and avoid. So if they're hurt by someone in church, they'll just do their best to avoid that person. They make sure that they're never around them, that they don't talk to them, that they just don't have any interaction with them. They might start going to a different small group. They'll serve in another area of the church. Uh, if it's a church that has more than one service, they'll go to a different service. But they just try to avoid that person. Sometimes when people are hurt by someone in a church, they'll actually end up leaving that church and attending somewhere else. If the person who hurt them is a leader, they have a lot of influence. If it's a small church and they can't avoid them, they'll go to another church. And sometimes when people are hurt, they end up leaving church altogether and not landing anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and especially if the hurt or offense is great, or if it feels like a pattern, something they've experienced repeatedly, they might just check out of church altogether. Friends, this is something that we need to think carefully about in our context in the area here in which we live. I'm still getting to know the area. I'm still getting to know the churches. But more than one person has commented to me about how many church splits there have been in this community, in this area, in the past. It's the most common way that new churches have started is that people have been hurt and offended at one church and they've gone to start a new church. And I've noticed that there are a lot of people in this area who love Jesus but aren't connected at any church. And I'm guessing uh, that's because they were hurt or offended or disappointed or disillusioned in church. They left and they just haven't made it back yet. There's all, that's always going to be the, the case to some degree anywhere, but it just seems more pronounced here. Folks, part of what communion reminds us of is that there is a better option for dealing with our pain rather than withdrawing and avoiding. Rather than hiding, we can be healed. Hearts can be healed. Relationships can be healed. Dare we believe that churches can be healed? That the church culture in Tuolumne County could be healed because of what Jesus has done on the cross, what we celebrate every month in communion. So how does this healing happen? Uh, well, it, it does require forgiveness. That requires facing what happened. Uh, it requires us to confess any ways in which we contributed to a situation and any ways in which our reactions to what happened were wrong. And it takes a lot of prayer. And sometimes God can use uh, uh, someone else praying for us, can use an encounter in a ministry time, an encounter with his presence during worship. Uh, sometimes God can work through a book or some other resource he might provide. He can bring that healing in lots of different ways. But for us to experience that, it requires us just leaning in to God and seeking him for that. Uh, I, I actually, uh, a few weeks ago on January 29, I preached on uh, restoration after brokenness. A lot of what I said then applies to this as well. So if you missed that message, you might want to go back and listen to it for some more ideas of how to access that healing and restoration in our lives. But this healing is possible. And when we choose to access this, we're following the example of Jesus. <laughs> you know, Jesus when he was hurt or knew he was going to hurt by his disciples, he didn't withdraw from them and avoid them. He didn't start over with a new group of 12 imperfect, fallible guys. 
he actually leaned into his relationship with them. Now, in Scripture, we're not shown the process that Jesus went through of healing from that hurt or to forgive them, but we do see the result of that. Because Jesus does gather with his disciples again in Galilee after his resurrection. He eats and drinks with them again. He fishes with them again. He teaches them again. Their relationship was restored. Healing happened. And this can be true for us as well. Healthy Christian community requires forgiveness. It requires healing. And uh, it also requires hope. Requires hope. And we're reminded that this is possible in communion as well. You know, in the context of communion, Jesus says he's not going to again drink the fruit of the vine until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus was looking forward to here was when the kingdom of God arrives in all its fullness, that future arrival of the fullness of the kingdom of God. And he's probably thinking about the great feast associated with that that we see referenced in Scripture. Uh, Paul, when he's talking about communion in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he says that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. In communion, there is this reminder to look back to what Jesus did on the cross for us, but communion is also meant to be a reminder to look ahead to his second coming and the glorious future that awaits us. Jesus, in verse 28 there in Mark 14, he says that he is going to gather with his disciples again. He's going to go ahead of them into Galilee after his resurrection. Now, that kind of goes over the head of the disciples. They focus on the prediction that they're all going to fall away. But Jesus is looking to a future that's informed by the fact of his resurrection. Friends, there is hope for healthy community in this life and the life to come because of Jesus. And what he did on the cross. Jesus did experience restored relationships with all his disciples except Judas after his resurrection. Judas uh, committed suicide. I think if he would have been alive and willing, Jesus would have had a restored relationship with him too. Jesus experienced healthy community with these men. And they experienced healthy community with each other moving forward. When you look at the end of Acts chapter 2, which we saw just a few weeks ago... We see these same men modeling exemplary behavior in community. These same men who could not stay awake while Jesus prayed in his most desperate hour. These same men are sacrificially being generous and hospitable to one another and to other followers of Jesus. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope for healthy community in this life and in the life to come. Listen, the hard reality is that it's very likely that your story is going to include hurt. Hurt is going to be a part of your story, but hurt does not have to be the end of your story. There are other chapters that can be written. Your story doesn't just have to go, well, people lied about you, pastors abandoned you, you were made the scapegoat, the end. Another chapter past that can be written, a chapter which says, but then you experienced healing, but then you found grace to forgive, but then you didn't stay stuck in that pain. You're able to form new, healthy relationships with others, but then you didn't withdraw and stay isolated, but you engaged in healthy community with others again. There can even be a chapter written that says, and relationships were restored. There are chapters waiting to be written in this life and in the life to come. I am going to spend eternity with people who have hurt me deeply. 
and I'm going to spend eternity with people who I've hurt and let down because they, like me, have trusted in Jesus because we have said, Jesus, we believe that, you, that you, your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us, and we say yes to salvation and eternal life that's provided through you. And so we're going to spend eternity together. And part of what's going to happen in eternity, uh, when, when we have all given an account for everything we've done, when the perfect judge has rendered perfect justice, when we have perfect perspective and hindsight, when our sanctification is complete, when every tear has been wiped from our eyes, when all things have been made new, part of what we're going to experience is, is relationships that have been fully restored and healed. The, in eternity, the fact of what happened is still going to be true, but the pain that came from it and the separation that it caused are not going to remain. When we sit down at that great feast, when the kingdom of God has come in all its, all its fullness, there are not going to be any sideways glances. We're not going to be avoiding eye contact with anyone. We're not going to be trying to sit as far away as possible from that person. Instead, there's going to, we're going to realize when Jesus once again raises that cup of blessing and celebration, we're going to realize that the benefits of the work of Jesus on the cross have been fully applied to our lives and our relationships. And we are going to enjoy not just healthy but perfect community with him and with others for eternity. Church is meant to be a foretaste of that kind of community. Sometimes gloriously it is. And sometimes painfully it is not. Hurt happens in churches and it's happened probably to a lot of us. But still... We can enjoy healthy community, even with imperfect people, and we can recover from the hurt we've experienced in community because of Jesus and because of what we're reminded about every time we take communion, his work on the cross for us. Communion reminds us of the forgiveness we have because of Jesus, so we can receive that forgiveness and then offer it to others. Communion reminds us of the healing we have because of Jesus. There is a better option for dealing with our pain than withdrawing and avoiding. Instead of hiding, we can be healed. And communion reminds us of the hope we have in Jesus. Hope for this life and the life to come. Hope for new chapters to be written beyond our hurt. My prayer for us today, my prayer for you today, is that you would experience that hope afresh in your life. Uh, my, my prayer is that God would speak to you about what forgiveness looks like in your situation, that he would give you the grace and the humility to offer or ask for forgiveness as may be needed. But as I think about the response we make to the Lord today, I believe that he wants to do something specifically in this area of healing for people who have been hurt in church. Uh, I, I'm going to ask our worship team if they'd come back. We're going to worship together before we close the service. But I do want to take a moment to pray for anyone, for all of us who have experienced hurt in church and we still need a degree of healing. Now you're going to have a chance to receive individual prayer in just a minute with our ministry team, but I want to pray for anyone who says, I've been hurt in church and that hurt still lingers. So if you've been hurt in church and you're fully healed from it, and there's probably some of us in the room that that's our story, this isn't necessarily for you. This is for those who have been hurt and it feels like there's still a degree of hurt. Maybe at chapel, maybe somewhere else, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, but just the hurt lingers. 
I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you any questions. I'm not, you're going to have to, not going to have to say anything about it. I just want to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask, if that's you, if you say, I've been hurt in church and that hurt still lingers, and I want you to pray for me, would you just raise your hand right now? Okay. A few hands raised. If you're close to someone who raised their hand, could you uh, put a hand on their shoulder so they know that they're not alone? Anyone else who, who wants, wants prayer for this this morning, that healing from church hurt? Okay. Let's all join me in, in prayer. Jesus, we again lift you up in this place and we, we come to you as our healer, as the one who has provided healing on the cross, as... Uh, as one who has provided for our pain, our suffering, our sorrows, that uh, you provide healing for every type of wound in our lives and you are able to bring us peace. And so I'm praying that specifically for my friends here today that have been hurt in church and there's still a degree of pain from that that lingers. I'm praying for your full and complete healing of them. Lord, I believe that as they were hurt in community, they'll be healed in community. And so I pray that you would provide healthy community for them, trusted friends and people who will stand with them in tangible ways. Lord, I pray that even as we have hands on their shoulders right now, that that would be a real symbol, a symbol of real meaning behind it, that they're not alone as they, uh, as they face healing. I thank you for those in this room who have taken the bold step of still being a part of church even though they've experienced this hurt. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, meet them with extra grace as they engage. I pray for anyone for whom even coming to church services brings up some pain. For anyone that it's a choice every Sunday to take a step into church, Lord, I pray meet them with grace and provision and healing. Lord, I suspect that there are some who may hear this message, watch it online, that aren't in this room, but they really need to experience this as well. And so, Lord, I pray for them, wherever they are right now, would become a sanctuary of your presence, that you would meet them in that place, and that you would bring a healing to them as well. Lord, I pray that they would know that they don't stand alone. They don't have to stand alone in this. So, Lord, I pray for your healing. I pray for the, uh, for the healing to be thorough, complete, deep. On the cross, Jesus, you said, it is finished when you breathed your last. You provided all that's needed for us, and I pray that there would be a sense of completion to the healing that's represented in what people ask prayer for this morning, and that there would be a sense in which they could say, I was hurt, but I've experienced healing, and I'm free to move forward with, with no uh, restrictions and reservations from that. Lord, I, I pray for that healing, and Lord, I also just pray for this church, Chapel in the Pines. Lord, I pray that we would be a healing community. And I pray that when people come to chapel, and for those of us that are here now, that people would find and that we would experience your healing presence consistently. And Lord, that what that means for us physically, what that means for our emotions, what that means for our mental state, uh, what that means in the deepest areas of our soul, in our spirits, Lord, I pray that your healing would work in all those parts of us, that we would be at peace. I pray, Lord, that we would be a healthy church, a healing church and a healthy church. Lord, we are still imperfect. That's going to be the case until we're with you in eternity. 
but I pray that we'd be a healthy, imperfect church, that we'd be, uh, we would keep clear accounts with one another, that we'd be quick to, uh, to resolve issues, that we'd be quick to ask for, for forgiveness from one another when that's needed, that offenses would not go unspoken or unaddressed, that you'd give us courage, Lord, and strength to, uh, to, to face the hurt that uh, may be experienced, but then to work through it with forgiveness and reconciliation and healing and restoration. May this be a whole, healthy, healing church. Because you, Jesus, are here because we put you first and we experience all that you provided for us in tangible ways in our lives and in this community. Let us be an example of healthy Christian community, even with imperfect people, we pray in your name. Amen.